many of you who've uh, taken different courses and classes in insight meditation or mindfulness practice, uh, if you took classes that I taught, beginner's classes that I taught years ago, uh, you may have uh, participated in uh, an exercise in which you practiced what was called mindful eating, uh, and oftentimes in those uh, uh, exercises, the teachers, such as myself, would pass out raisins. That was usually what we passed out. Uh, many, many times I passed out raisins in beginner's classes and had the students uh, practice mindful eating of the raisin. And, uh, you know, the idea was you would take one or two raisins, and no more than one or two, and just eat them and really focus on the, 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 the breakup of the raisin in the mouth and the taste and the juice and the experience and it would kind of like you'd you'd really work that raisin over for a couple of minutes before you swallow before I allowed you to swallow. Uh, one of the things that some people would say uh, at the after doing that exercise of course then we would discuss it and sometimes people would say often people would say wow this was such an intense experience and it was so vivid the taste was just so vivid and it was just, I, I was just really, you know, it was just, oh, it was so great. It was so wonderful how I just experienced this, this, uh, this sense experience of taste in a way that maybe I hadn't ever to such a heightened level experienced it. And this was often uh, said to be and often uh, pronounced by myself and of course others like me. Uh, one of the reasons why we practice mindfulness uh, so that our sense experience is more heightened, uh, so that we have a more intense and a vivid sense experience. Uh, this was said to be one of the great fruits of the practice, if you will, pun intended. Uh, it's kind of one of the benefits of, uh, of Zoom is you don't have to uh, take raisins from me that I'm handing out to you. We could do a virtual raisin eating, but not something I would suggest. Because this teaching actually isn't really quite in concert with what the Buddha teaches. Uh, what the Buddha teaches us, of course, is that we should be careful about looking for happiness in sense experience. That uh, while we find some happiness in sense experience, uh, it's a limited happiness and that we should look for happiness elsewhere in something that is more reliable and that offers a greater happiness. So our practice really is a practice of coming to know a greater happiness. The happiness of sense pleasure, such as the sense pleasure that we get from that raisin, is a limited happiness. And of course, when we look for happiness and sense pleasure, invariably, we suffer. We suffer. This is one of the things that we're asked to see, is that if we are looking for happiness in this life and sense experience, we'll suffer. And we're also asked to see that there is a greater happiness. So this exercise in which we ate the raisins really wasn't a good practice, really wasn't something that was in line with what the Buddha taught. You know, and I came to realize that at some point, you know, and of course there's many things that I look back on, you know, and cringe, cringeworthy activities that I had you all engage in over the years. It's not really a good practice. 
It's not really a good practice. I mean, it's a good practice in that, and this often was borne out when we did this practice in classes, it's a good practice because, if you like, because we can see that, you know, the raisins don't offer a reliable happiness. You know, and this was often, again, borne out when we, when we did this in a class. Uh, I mean, one of the things, of course, that you, be, you see is that you eat that beautiful raisin, you know, you're eating that one or two raisins, and, you know, as, as, as you're getting towards the end of it and it's almost gone, you know, there's this craving and wanting another one, and wanting another one. So you begin to see uh, the limits. Of course, this isn't what we were really teaching, but this is, of course, what we see. We want more, you know, and this wanting is at the root of our suffering. And then, of course, you know, sometimes I'd pass out the raisins and, and sometimes people would get a bad one, you know. They get, you ever eat raisins, you know, and this, you know, there's a couple in there that are just like, kind of like all the stem, you know, it's like the stem. And then, of course, sometimes when we would teach this, and this would always happen, you know, there'd be people, oh, it's the most vivid, it was so wonderful, the raisin, and then there'd be a few people like, I don't like raisins. This was terrible. I don't like raisins. You know, and I used to think, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You know, what's going on here? You know, and it started to kind of dawn on me even before I really understood the Buddhist teachings and the way that I came to understand them, uh, that, you know, this isn't really quite working, you know, this exercise, because some people don't like raisins. You know, eating one raisin is actually causing people to suffer, you know, because it's just like torturing them, you know, because they're going to invariably want more. So thank goodness, eventually, we kind of, I kind of stopped doing that exercise. Oftentimes, and this is an exercise that I still, I still do, uh, when I would teach a beginner's class or other classes, uh, uh, maybe the third or the fourth class, uh, we would meditate uh, and uh, you know, by then we'd kind of getting into it a little bit, so maybe we would meditate for a half hour in the class, then go think back to our old studio on 14th Street uh, between 5th and 6th Avenue, 39 West 14th Street, up on the fifth floor. Many of you spent many an hour up there, uh, you know, so we would meditate uh, for a half hour, and then I would give the instruction for natural meditation, which many, most people hadn't heard before, it was a beginner's class, so I'd say, I'd give the instruction, and I'd say, now you're going to practice natural meditation. You're going to be mindful of the breath out on the street, out on 14th Street. So I'd say, come back in 20 minutes, and people would go down on the elevator or take the stairs, and I'd send them out onto the street. And, you know, 15 minutes later, they'd come back to the class, uh, and they would, we would talk about it. And some people would say, oh, this was the most vivid Oh, I never was on 14th Street in the same way before. Oh, I was seeing this, I was seeing that, the birds, the pigeons, the little dogs, whatever. You know, and then other people would say, this was the most horrible thing I had ever experienced in my life. You know, you know and you know, because they were so much more alert, you know, and there's other variables that go into that, other people had just this awful experience. Sometimes people would have to come back uh, because it was, the intensity was, 
uh, you know, and they were being, you know, what they were experiencing was unpleasant to them. Most people, it was somewhere in the middle. Eh, I've been on 14th Street a million times, you know. Now, of course, the reason why we were doing that exercise uh, wasn't so that people could see that mindfulness gave them an opportunity to have a more vivid sense experience. The reason why we were doing that exercise it was a training in being mindful of the breath while you were in motion, while you were in the world. It was a training for natural meditation. It was natural meditation. So it was a training or an exercise in which we were learning to have a center while we were in the world, to have a center while we were moving. The center being, of course, the breath. The instruction, of course, being to stay with the breath to the best of our ability as we're out there in the world. So that was the, the training, of course. You know, we begin with the, the training in the room over the weeks you know, of learning to be mindful of the breath and then some walking meditation, learning to be mindful of the breath when we're uh, moving and the eyes are open and then out there into the world, which is, you know, really, you know, the ultimate uh, reason why we practice the Dhamma. So the reason why, you know, we give that instruction and why we teach natural meditation is so that we have a center when we're in the world, uh, so that we train ourselves to have a center when we're in the world, so that we can have ease when we're in the world, when we're amidst the experiences of the world, all the intense experiences of the world, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, we have a center. You know, and that's really what that exercise is about and what natural meditation is about. Amidst all the experience of the world, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, we have a center. We have a center, we have stillness, we have ease, we have a center, we have ease, we have stillness, we have stillness in motion. So, you know, this is what we're uh, learning to train ourselves uh, to be able to manifest is stillness in motion. Stillness in the midst of movement. You know? There's stillness in the midst of movement. Even when we're moving, there's stillness. There's a stillness within that we can connect to. Even when we are amidst all the movement of the world, if it's all the movement out on 14th Street or all the movement in your flat or all the movement wherever, all the sense experience, there's an inner center and a stillness within. Stillness amidst the chaos. You know, for years and years, I always had, and I probably still do, and probably even if you look at some of the old New York Insight descriptions for like beginners classes or, you know, different ways of describing the practice. You know, being able to, you know, cultivate, you know, tranquility and insight amidst the chaos and complexity of the modern world, the contemporary world. I don't think when I wrote those descriptions. Initially, you know, over 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I quite understood what that means. But this is, in large part, what this means is, you know, to be able to have this kind of stillness uh, amidst the world, to be able to have this stillness or inner silence amidst the noise of the world. You know, it's a very noisy world. But what we're training ourselves to do is to have a place inside that's still and silent. 
even amidst the noise in the mind and the emotional noise that we experience and the noise in the body, there's a place within that's still. I think actually I learned this in part, uh, you know, and of course through my teachers, but uh, through, you know, having written that description and then having to live up to it. <laughs> you know, what does this mean? You know, and being a, a person who taught householders, you know, I mean, you know, I wasn't teaching retreats, we're teaching a few retreats, but you know, our practice was, how, how, do, you, how do you deal with 14th Street? You know, uh, how do you deal with wherever it is that you are in the world? You know? Well, you learn to develop an internal stillness you know, that's available to you amidst whatever your experience is and whatever conditions you're in. So when we have a center in the breath, we have this place of stillness and tranquility that's available to us. It also gives us a vantage point, a vantage point that we carry into the world from which we can pay attention to our actions. You know, so we're not immersed in the experiences of the world. We're able to have some space from them and pay attention to our deeds and our speech. And of course, to pay attention to our thinking. So this center within gives us a vantage point from which we can observe our experience. Another way that the Buddha uh, described that was we have a heightened mind. We have a mind that's heightened. We're a little bit above our experience and we can observe it and develop wisdom. So we develop this stillness, this tranquility through breath meditation by following the steps of breath meditation just what we went through tonight. So we start by being mindful of the breath. Step one, we make a real effort to keep the mind on the breath. And when we do that, the mind starts to settle down. So we come out of the realm of our usual discursive thinking, all of our thoughts that are driven by past karma, our habitual thinking. We gradually, little by slowly in meditation, abandon that thinking, right? Every meditation you know, is some form uh, or variation of a gradual process of abandoning thinking, right? You come into the meditation, maybe there's a lot of thinking and gradually, you know, you kind of abandon it. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, it's just a microcosm of the process that we want to engage in throughout the day. But in the meditation, you know, we're uh, gradually abandoning thinking and that leads to calmness, tranquility, stillness. So calmness is really a function of the abandoning of thinking, unskillful thinking. You know, as I talked about last week, the paradox is we have to use thinking in order to abandon unskillful thinking. But as the mind settles down onto the breath and into the present moment, we begin to start to experience calmness. And then, of course, in the second step, we develop this easeful breath, this very easeful and pleasant breath. Once the mind can settle down, then we can develop this easeful breath, and when the breath starts to become ple pleasant, then the mind settles down more because it starts to incline more and more to the breath. Because ultimately the Buddha knew, uh, and this was really, I always say, where Buddhism became Buddhism, it's not enough just to force the attention on the breath using directed thought. Eventually you have to create a place where the mind will want to stay, and the mind wants to stay in places that are pleasant. So we create, we shape an experience of the breath that's pleasant, so the mind, little by slowly, inclines there and wants to stay there. 
So the mind settles down more and we come in more into stillness. And of course, you know, the Buddha was the master, I always say, of killing two birds with one stone. As the mind settles down more because it wants to stay with the breath, that easeful breath also begins to regulate the central nervous system. The Buddha understood this uh, as contemporary neuroscience 2600 years in its efforts to finally catch up to what the Buddha taught has begun to understand that the breath regulates the central nervous system. So in step three, which is an essential part of the meditation, we open up our awareness to the full body and allow the ease to spread, allow that breath energy to spread throughout the body, throughout the body, throughout the body. This is critical to do because when we're focusing on that one spot, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but when we're focusing on that one point, that's great, but there's still a lot of crap going on in the body. Pardon my, that's poly. poly that, that's that's uh, unpleasant sense experience. That's poly. So, uh, so uh, you know, even when we're focused on the breath at that one point, there's a lot going on in the body that may be unpleasant and is deterring us from stillness. So there's physical experience in the body that's unpleasant. There's mental, emotional, psychological experience, dissonance in the body. So what we're doing is we're bringing a quality of healing and ease to the body. Ease to the body. So ease to the body. Uh, so uh, there's a greater sense of ease. The mind now, because it's really just really, there's all it really is, uh, is, uh, is focused on is this quality of ease throughout the body and it's not so much uh, deterred by unpleasant experience in the body, the mind really settles down. And this of course is when the Buddha says when the mind really settles down. At this point, as he says, we abandon all thoughts, worries, and concerns about the household life. You know, so you may notice this sometimes, you know, in the meditation as the body comes into the state of bliss, it's like, eh, who cares about politics, you know? You know, I don't, I don't really care about, you know, it's like, this feels good. I'm happy to be right here. There's this quality of contentedness. And we come into a deeper place of stillness and tranquility. So, you know, in our meditation, it's very important to, to, to recognize, as we learn to develop these qualities of concentration, to learn to recognize them. And to, to learn to recognize, oh, there's ease. I mean, I talk about this a lot when I guide through a meditation, right? Uh, there's ease, there's pleasure, there's stillness. It's very important to learn to recognize these qualities, recognizing them as a cause for their re-arising. So, uh, you know, the more you recognize these qualities and label them, labeling them is a really useful and important way that we begin to uh, uh, cultivate these qualities. So you begin to start, because a lot of times stillness is there, but you're not really noticing it. So the more you start to notice it, the more you start to know what it is, and the more you can start to incline to it. And the more you start to notice it, the more you see the benefits of it, and the mind will start to incline to it. And the more you notice it, the more you know that you have these qualities within, so the more you incline them. You know, it's like once you start to understand that you've got this stuff and it's like, wow, I've got this potential for stillness. I'm going to start utilizing this potential. But a lot of the time we don't realize the potential that we have. So, of course, we develop this stillness uh, 
and this ability to be able to cultivate it and to recognize it in the meditation. Uh, but ultimately, we have to carry this stillness into the world, out onto 14th Street, out onto whatever street you're in, in your flat, etc., etc. So if we develop stillness in meditation, then we're able to carry it out into the world with us. If we use certain techniques like natural meditation, etc., because it's just not going to happen in and of itself, you need to use certain techniques. I mean, you need to do two things to be able to carry the stillness in the into the world. One, you need to develop it, and you need to, it has to be strong. That's why strong concentration is really important. And that's why, you know, I started developing and then, uh, you know, practicing and then teaching strong concentration in householder practice, a more rigorous regimen in the meditation that we can apply to our daily sitting, you know, which wasn't really taught because most people were practicing on retreats and, you know, on a retreat after five days, you're going to get concentration and stillness. Yeah, anybody can do that. You know, can you really develop those qualities in a daily practice? Well, you can, but you have to learn a more rigorous practice and develop that practice and then develop some skills for carrying it into the world. And one of the most important skills that helps you carry stillness into the world is walking meditation. You know, so, you know, you know, at the, in, you know, I always taught walking meditation, but I never sort of made it part of the doctor's prescription. And then about 15, 10, 15 years ago, I had to add it to the doctor's prescription, the doctor being Dr. Dubinin uh, here, you know, uh, you know, because it's really important because it really helps us train ourselves to be able to connect to stillness in motion. So in the walking meditation, even if you do two minutes of it a day, I usually do five minutes every morning because I want to be able to practice inclining to stillness when I'm in motion. It's different than the meditation because you're not in motion. <laughs> so, you know, now we're in motion and we are practicing being able to connect to this still place within while we're in motion. This is why it's so important in the meditation to be in walking meditation to be mindful of the breath, you know, to be mindful of the breath, which is, of course, the way the Thais teach it, the Thai style. We're mindful of the breath, usually somewhere down lower in the body here, so we have a center of gravity so that when we're in motion, you know, we really can connect to this place inside. So we're practicing at, when we're moving to be connected to this place of stillness. So this is you know, a really good practice for us in terms of uh, learning to develop this stillness in motion. Ultimately, of course, it's just still practice. You know, why do we call it practice? Because we're practicing for you know, the big game. The big game is you know, out there on 14th Street. The big game is in your apartment and in your life and in your work and in your relationships. And, you know, our, our practice is to maintain a center in all those postures, to maintain access to ease and the stillness within, and to learn to incline to the stillness within. So even right now, as you're listening to the Dharma talk, you know, you can incline to the breath and the stillness within. Can you find that stillness within? Sometimes you feel the breath and you may notice stillness right there. Oftentimes, uh, you know, the breath, 
you know, we're feeling it because it's a little coarse, but that's good because we can feel it. But oftentimes you just notice, you know, some area, usually Ajahn Lee said somewhere in here that's very still, this place of real stillness within. You may notice it right now. So even when we're listening to the Dharma talk, you know, you know, and of course, if you if you stay with this stillness within, you know, then you're really able to hear the Dharma talk because, for one reason, uh, you're not, you know, your your hearing isn't uh, obfuscated by thinking about the Dharma talk, you know, because you're noticing that you're thinking about the Dharma talk, right? Because a lot of times when you're listening to the Dharma talk, you're thinking about the Dharma talk, or you're thinking about what you saw on Netflix last night, or what you're going to do this afternoon, or whatever. Or you're, you know, the mind is fading out, you know? So, going into that numb place. So our practice is to learn to uh, have a center, a place of ease, and a place of stillness that we is available to us when we're in motion. So, you know, this stillness within uh, is 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 really an aspect of the Dharma inside. You know, we all have this Dharma, this Dharma that we find inside of ourselves. That's why the Buddha said when he was dying, "Be an island unto yourself." And you know, the way that he ta taught us to be an island unto ourselves was to be mindful, which begins, of course, with being mindful of the breath, which begins, of course, with being mindful of uh, the body, which begins, of course, with being mindful of the breath know the Dharma inside of yourself. He said, you don't need me. I was just pointing the way to the Dharma inside yourself. So this stillness inside is an aspect of the Dharma inside. You all have this capacity within you. You all have this potential within you. I mean, it's like all potential, you know, you have to develop it. You have to develop this potential. That's why we practice meditation, to develop our potential. You know, but we have this potential within, you know, and this is something that you can do. You have the ability to develop your potential and to develop this Dhamma within, this stillness within. It's a skill. It's a skill. One of the things that I always, uh, many things about teaching, and, and in particular teaching beginners classes that I've always enjoyed, uh, would often happen uh, maybe in the third or the fourth class, uh, uh, in the third or the fourth class, when I when I teach a beginner's class and still would do it to this day, uh, is before we start to meditate, I'll say, uh, when I usually don't do it in the first few classes, but maybe by the, uh, the fourth class or so, I give the instruction in the meditation to have the intention to be still, not to move have the intention not to move. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and of course, as I lead the students through the meditation, I remind them at the beginning, have the intention to be still. And then, of course, you know, in that instruction, I'm also teaching them what to do if there is some kind of an unpleasant sensation that arises at some point in the meditation. But it's always just so profound to me to see the shift that happens when I give that instruction. Because what I'm, of course, asking them to do is to learn to incline to the Dharma inside themselves, to learn to incline to the stillness inside. 
So usually in the first three or four classes, people, most of the people are squirming, right? You know, they're like this in the meditation, right? You know, they're very agitated, or a lot of people are agitated. And then, you know, and they're like this, the first three classes, and, you know, and it's fine. You know, and then in the, th the, the fourth class, I say at the beginning, all right, have the intention to be still. And, of course, I'm opening my eyes as the teacher, and I'm looking at them. And during the meditation, they're like Buddhas. You know, it's like, it's so, it's so profound and inspiring for me to see that. You know, they just drop into this place of stillness, which was there to some extent and available to them all along. They were just never inclining to it. Now, of course, we can deepen into that and develop that even more. But simply by inclining to stillness, you could do it right now, just inclining to stillness and the stillness within, uh, you know, the students were able to begin to come into this place of of calm, tranquility, serenity, stillness. You know, so we learn to incline to the stillness within, that which is part of our dharma. So again, you know, we have this capacity, this dharma within. It's a potential that we've been blessed with. It's a gift. You know, our job as dharma students is to make the most of the gifts that we've been blessed with as human beings. You know, this is what we talk about, you know, you know, we throw words and phrases, you know, we love to throw phrases around as Dharma teachers. We're making the most of your life, but this is what this means. Make the most of the gifts that we've been given, the, the blessings that we've been bestowed, that have been bestowed upon us as human beings, this capacity for stillness and for peace within is part of that and such an important part of that. This is an important aspect of uh, cultivating this stillness and stillness in motion is such an important aspect of making the most of this life. This is the path that the teachings lay out for us and that we practice and that we have such a blessing to be able to practice. So let's just close our eyes for a second. <clears throat> 